We are here to celebrate life, the life that only God gives, both here on earth and for all eternity. This life is worthy of celebration and defense each and every day in the decisions we make, the conversations we hold, and the lives that we live. And so may the grace, mercy, and peace of God equip us to uphold defend and celebrate the gift of life with our every thought, word, and deed to his glory. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it is good. That is the Lord's refrain through the six days of creation. Light and dark, it is good. Land and sea, it is good. Stars, moon, and sun, it is good. Birds and fish, plants and animals, it is good. And then there's Adam. And the Lord looks at Adam and says, it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. You see, the goodness of creation is connected to life. If creation brings forth or supports life, it is good. But Adam, alone, remains alone. He can have no children, no family. It is not good. Not until Eve. And then, then it is very good. Then, with the gift of marriage and the promise of children, the joy of life, God rests from his work. And the devil gets busy. The devil finds Adam and Eve in the garden and begins to nudge them towards death. And that nudge sounds like this. Did God really say? Let's not miss the point there. Did God really say is the sound of the devil's nudge toward condemnation and death and eternal separation from God. Did God really say, if you ate this fruit, then you would die? The devil deceived with that question of doubt. And we see that his chief lie is to call God a liar. You see, Satan masquerades as a heavenly messenger. The Apostle Paul proclaimed that the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't go around with horns or hooves or pitchfork or pointed tail. The devil looks and sounds exactly like everything you've ever wanted. He dresses up in what we would expect God to wear. And the great deceiver even mimics the Almighty and simulates the voice that we hear in the Bible. As soon as the Heavenly Father spreads the table of his everlasting feast with fine food and wine, the devil, our old evil foe, shoves a tray of cakes made of mud and cow pies in our face, serving up a wide variety of sugar-coated, pleasantly scented poisons. Wait a minute, the snake hisses. Wouldn't you rather have your pick? Control tastes better than contentment, doesn't it? Selection beats survival. And so the old saying goes, wherever God erects a house of prayer, the devil builds a chapel there. 
But you know, Satan doesn't just stop with one chapel. In fact, he mass produces them, peppering us from the left and from the right, row upon row of options, like cars in an automobile lot. And so we behold every size and shape and shade and speed, but they all go in one direction. They all go toward death. So many doors. So many doors with handles custom fit to your own grip. But open up any one and you end up in the same place. Condemnation and death. But today we hear the amazing truth that God's word is truth. That God's word is life. Now, if the devil wants us to die, and he really, really does, then he will tempt us away from the word of God. And death comes with doubt. Adam and Eve are tempted away from the word, away from life. They ate and they died. And we and everything else in the world are dying with them. You know, one of the greatest challenges that face our congregations is the neglect of God's word. Disciples are made with the word. And consequently, disciples therefore confess and speak that word to the world. And therefore, the neglect of God's word results in God's disciples not doing the very thing they've been created Recreated, redeemed, reconciled, and equipped to do, to make disciples of all nations, to share the gift of life to this dying world. We often lament that our world is a culture of death, and that most certainly is true. Life is vulnerable at the beginning and the end and devalued all the way through. We mourn the slaughter of babies and lament the medical murdering of the elderly. But it's important for us to remember and realize that humanity's funeral march began long before Roe v. Wade and the push for legalized euthanasia. It began all the way back in the garden. It began with those four words, did God really say? And it continues to march to that same beat with neglect of daily devotions in the word, neglect of Bible study and faithful worship. Maybe you wonder, why does pastor keep on saying it's so important for us to gather together on Sunday morning for Bible study? Well, this is it. Because if we don't know what God really said, then we're easy pickings for when the devil puts that death nudge before us saying, did God really say? If we're not prepared through time in God's word, through studying God's word together, our answer to that question, did God really say, will not be one of life, but rather one of uncertainty. But that funeral march of did God really say is the march that Jesus came to stop. And he came to stop it once and for all. You see, Jesus is not content with our dying. He's not happy to just stand by and watch us fall into the grave. He never intended for us not to know the word that he has written on our hearts and revealed to us on every page of Scripture. 
Therefore, God really did say, I came that you may have life and have life abundantly. Jesus interrupts our death with his life. He interrupts our sin with his holiness. He interrupts our rebellion with his crucifixion. Jesus takes our sin, our punishment, the wrath that we deserve, and he suffers it all in our place. His death is Adam's death. It's Eve's death. It's our death. His agony is exactly what we deserved. He bears our sin so that we would know God's mercy and his grace, his forgiveness, and God's life that never ends. And he gives all this to us in his word. You know, in our gospel lesson in John 6, Jesus is giving a difficult teaching. He is the bread from heaven. Yes, the same boy that was raised by Joseph and Mary. He is God and man united in one person. He is the hope and the life of the world. Jesus said, In John 6, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That teaching was too much for the crowds. And as disciples of the Lord, we know that we interpret difficult teachings in light of the most simple Bible teachings we know. God really did say that he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so what Jesus is saying in John chapter 6 is confirmed by what he said in chapter 3. He alone gives life. And that life is found in him, the living word, and the gift of his body broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. There were thousands who came to Jesus for bread in the wilderness, but they didn't stay for the teaching. They didn't stay for the word. Jesus sees that they're all leaving, and he turns to the twelve, and he says, Do you want to leave as well? And Peter answers beautifully, and we confess right along with him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter sees with a divine clarity what we also see, that Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. Jesus has the very words that overcome death. Jesus has the rescuing words that will pull us out of the grave on the last day. Jesus has the victorious words that defeat the old evil foe. Jesus has the healing words that forgive sin. His words are words of eternal life. God's value of life extends into all eternity. The baby, conceived by the Holy Spirit, carried in the womb of Mary and born in Bethlehem, grew. The toddler Jesus learned to walk, and with the legs of an adult, he made the journey to Jerusalem. And there he was crucified 
for our sin, including our devaluing of life and our silence regarding protecting the most vulnerable among us. He died for those and all sin, and he was raised from the dead. The sacrifice for sin accepted. And we are washed in his victory in the life-giving waters of baptism, where life eternal was bestowed on us. Peter said to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And those words of eternal life are declared for us. God really and truly said. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have the words of Jesus. You hear his voice. You know his name. With the gift of faith, you believe what he says. And yes, it's true. The devil will come and tempt us. The same as he did in the garden. Did God really say? Did God really say he loves you? Did God really say your sin is forgiven? Did God really say you're saved by grace through faith without any works? Did God really say that we will be raised on the last day and live forever with him? Yes, yes, a thousand times yes, Jesus has the words of eternal life. And those words and those promises, they are yours. Eternal life is yours. And now the world needs to hear your voice declare Jesus' word of eternal life. The world needs to hear your voice declare God's value of life in all of its stages. The world needs your voice to declare that God's word of forgiveness purchased with the blood of Jesus extends to all of us sinners. Satan and his despair will continue to nudge us toward death. What God really says, though, gives the gift of life, now and for all eternity. Amen.